0: Govanen
1: Melonin. Hello, friends, and welcome to Speak, Friend, and Enter, a podcast where my sister and I put a warm blanket on you and call you a big nerd. We're going to be using parts of Tolkien's books to explain some things that the movies
0: didn't make 100% clear. I'm Leah, and I read the books so you don't have
1: to. And I'm Audrey, your movie master.
0: First things first, we're going to do some housekeeping from last episode. Some things that Audrey and I meant to bring up in the moment and got sidetracked as we are wont to do. In a previous episode, I mentioned the Tolkien Professor podcast, and I want to do that again, but this time with coherency. Uh, The guy who runs the podcast, Professor Corey Olson, was at the time a professor at Washington College, where he taught a Tolkien class. And he released recordings of his lectures in that class as a podcast. So they're really helpful to do guided read-alongs because you can listen along to his lectures as you read The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. And uh, listening to his lectures is the only way that I made it through the Silmarillion. (laughs) It's not just him talking. It's him... (laughs) Discussing the uh, the events of the book with his class and getting suggestions from them on what they think. You know, what are the themes here? What do we need to watch out for later? So it's a little more up for interpretation. It really is, okay. and it's it's just very helpful if um, if you want to reread Tolkien's books, but maybe you're not ready to read how dense Lord of the Rings or especially the Silmarillion are. Um, me, that's
1: me. <laughs> I never read. I'll never
0: read. <laughs> <laughs> having having a really kind of friendly and intelligent professor hold your hand and guide you through it is really, really helpful. Now, Audrey, you had a question that you wanted to ask me that we
1: yeah. didn't get to last time. Right. So uh, is this in reference to the rings, the, the rings of power? It sure is. I mean, I guess this entire podcast is in reference to <laughs> some rings. My whole <laughs> life is in reference to <laughs> some rings. Um, yeah, I was wondering about, you had said that there were three rings that were gifted to the elves, and these were the rings that were not made by Sauron himself. They were the ones made by, he has a crazy name, Celebrimbor. Celebrimbor. <laughs> you nailed it. Uh, he, he used Sauron's magic to create the rings himself, so they didn't have the influence uh or i suppose they were not under sauron's control but exactly. still a little because yeah. they were made with sauron magic
0: pretty much <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't control the wearers the way that he could the other rings that were mm-hmm. made with him being present and him you know touching them and dealing mm-hmm. with them but since they were made using his magic they can't exist if he doesn't exist right
1: so the question was uh that you would mention that gandalf came into possession of one of these rings, but I I've seen Lord of the Rings and he was not in that opening monologue. <laughs> he was not one of the three elves that were looking at these beautiful jewels. <laughs> so how did Gandalf end up with this ring?
0: Great question. Um, and, and
1: also, I just want to know who had the ring before him?
0: Oh, we'll go through the whole okay. history of yes. Gandalf's ring. Right. But um, just before that, I want to do a little bit of foreshadowing of what we're going to talk about later. <laughs> the three elves who have those three elf rings yes, yes. In, that, in the opening monologue. One is Galadriel.
1: Mm-hmm. I think yes, <laughs> she she is. I I have a very specific image of, in my mind of Kate Blanchett like staring at her own ring. Yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, one of them is an elf named Gilgalad, who we'll talk about later on okay. in reference to a listener question, Ooh. and the other one is an elf named Kierden, the shipwright, and that's who we're going to talk about. He sounds cool. He is cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm psyched that you said that because <laughs> I, I think he's a very interesting character. Yeah. Um, so, this ring is called Naria, N A R Y A. It's the ring of fire. This ring.
1: I fell into a burning ring of fire. Is it that one? Is like Johnny Cash burning? Yeah. Okay,
0: uh huh. Yeah. yeah, Johnny Cash okay. <laughs> famously is Sauron. <laughs> There's a reason they call him the man in black. I knew it. This ring, Narya, has the power to inspire others to resist tyranny. So it has a lot of use uh, when when Gandalf comes into it during Frodo times. It prevents remote observation of anyone who isn't Sauron. So if you're wearing this ring, you're safe from being spied upon by the NSA watching your (laughs) laptop camera. Um, and it resists the weariness of time. So in the same way that Lothlorien and Rivendell are very preserved, very well preserved, yeah. uh, this, this ring has Pristine. that power as well. Yes. So this ring, after Celebrimbor makes his three rings, he entrusts one to an elf named Círdan the shipwright. He lives uh, at Mithlond, which is the port on the westernmost part of Middle-earth. That's where everybody
1: goes to at
0: the end of Return of the King.
1: When they go to the Grey Havens. Exactly. Yeah,
0: Yes. He is known for, A, being the guy who builds those ships. That's why he's called the Shipwright. He mm. basically invented the art of making ships. B, being <laughs> one of only two elves in the entire legendarium with a beard. Nice. <laughs> by, by the second age, he is the oldest elf. Living in Middle Earth, as well as the wisest and the one who has the best foresight. So we often talk about Galadriel as being like the oldest, hottest, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but Cirdan is just a teensy bit older than her. He's like three hundred years her senior. Okay. So she's just a
1: just a skosh, just, just a you know, three hundred years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, about a thousand years into the Third Age, which is itself about. 2,000 years before Frodo times, which is at the end of the Third Age. Um, The Valar over in Valinor, they're like the... Demigod, Demigod pantheon. That's yeah.
1: that's what Sauron and Gandalf are. So
0: close. Damn. <laughs>
1: Sauron oh and Gandalf
0: and these Valar are both part of a larger group called the Ainur. Okay. But the Valar are separate from Sauron and Gandalf, which are Maiar. All right. We'll have to make some charts. I know. There's there's <laughs> a lot of made-up words <laughs> to keep straight. but you're... All words are made up. It's okay. Whoa. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> I gotta lie down and think about this. <laughs> so the Valar dispatch the wizards... Gandalf, Saruman, Radagast the Brown, and two blue wizards who went off into who the just East. Don't
1: matter. <laughs> and nobody ever talks
0: about them again. <laughs> uh, they dispatched them from Valinar to Middle Earth because they knew that Sauron wasn't gone forever after um, after the last alliance of elves and men battled him and
1: What do we took what do we, we call that? Was that a Sildur Times? Yeah, it is a Sildur times. Okay. Yeah, 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 we Audrey. Yeah, we we uh, kind of have a key now when we talk about. It can get a little bit confusing because there's a lot of similar wars that happen at very different times. <laughs> so what I call it now is there's Isildur times, which is like the initial war against Sauron. Uh, or uprising i guess and then there's i guess there's Gollum times but like there's not really much to say in that because that's just like a very quiet period but it's a really significant period of time so i think it's worth mentioning and that is 500 exists. years and, long it's, yeah yeah it's not nothing and then there's frodo time or well i i had said that there's bilbo times which is pretty brief yeah because i think that there is a distinction between the events of the hobbit and the events of lord of the ring that's kind of like important?
0: Yeah, especially in terms of theme and, yeah. and uh, the darkness of the story. Yes,
1: exactly. Where it's like a kid's book. So and then after that, it's Frodo times. So yeah. now you guys know that what what we're talking about when we say Isildur times versus Frodo times.
0: Yeah, when when we say Frodo times, it's because I got tired of saying during the events of Lord of the Rings all yeah, the time. It's too much. Frodo it's, times. Just, it's just Frodo times. <laughs> So during Isildur times, Mm -hmm. rather right after Isildur times, the Valar send the wizards from Valinor to Middle-earth in order to help, basically, men and elves fight off the threat of Sauron.
1: So this is right around the time when Gollum gets his hands on the ring, or this is just when the ring is lost?
0: The the second one. Okay. The ring waits at the bottom of the Anduin River near the Gladden Fields for, like, 2,000 years or something.
1: Oh, so there was, like that much time between Isildur losing the ring and Smeagol finding it.
0: Absolutely correct. Okay. Yes. Actually Deagle found it, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. I do actually have I have some talking points about that nice. in today's in today's recording. Cool. So because Cierdan lives and works at the haven at the at the port on the westernmost part of Middle Earth, he is there to greet the wizards or the istari when they arrive in middle earth okay because he is so wise and has such foresight he sees what they truly are and what their true purpose is in middle earth Mm. like
1: they aren't just very powerful oddly magical men he just like inherently knows that he's there to that they are there to stop the threat Yes,
0: there's a long story behind why Círdan has such great foresight. It's like a reward to him for doing great service to the Valar. Hmm. Um, Sounds useful. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) So he gives his ring to Gandalf in order to help with the work ahead. He says, take this ring, master, for your labors will be heavy, but it will support you in the weariness that you have taken upon yourself, for this is the ring of fire, and with it you may rekindle hearts in a world that grows chill. But as for me, my heart is with the sea, and I will dwell by the gray shores until the last ship sails. I will await you. The last ship.
1: Yeah. That's such a long time. It is.
0: And he's been waiting there for thousands of years. Oh my God. It's... Pyrdhan has this long, tragic history of how he wants so badly to go to Valinor, both to see and take in its beauty and also to see all of his kin who have since returned to Valinor. Yeah. But he tried once and the Valor were like, you can't come back yet. You have very important duties being the shipman, You're going to create the most important ship ever. And he does eventually help Elrond's dad, Make the best ship ever, and we'll talk about him way, way later. He doesn't allow himself to go back to Valinor until sometime in the Fourth Age, which is after Frodo times. Okay. And he Sam sails. Sam times. Sam times. I mm-hmm. love it. Yeah. In Samwise times, <laughs> uh, he sails on the final ship back over to Valinor, Valinor, with Galadriel's husband, Kelleborn. So. Oh. Círdan gives Gandalf his ring mm-hmm. because he knows that it will be important for Gandalf to use it to help to stop Sauron.
1: I'm going to have to investigate and see if if that's part of his costume in the movies, because I don't particularly remember any like ring that Gandalf is wearing in The Lord of the Rings.
0: So Kierdan gives Gandalf his ring because he has always given everything in service of the Valar and the general concept of peace in Middle-earth. He's a good man. He really is. It's a cool guy. Yes, indeed. Cool. Then we can get into our meat and potatoes. Hold on.
1: Borp. Probably LaCroix is not a great thing to drink for this. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not carbonated. It's making me burp a lot. If you ever do want water, you can just grab I it. I never, ever, ever want water. Well, I have ketchup. Okay, I'll drink that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, okay, so, so... So we're
0: moving right along in the chronology of the movie to Concerning Hobbits. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: okay so this is the part of the movie after the long boring profile which weeds or profile uh, prologue which weeds out all of the non-real nerds like remember <laughs> when we tried to show this to our cousin when we were kids and she was like out within 10 minutes like she didn't even make it to
0: party. no gosh and then she came she kind of came back to herself a half an hour later and she was like is this movie about a ring
1: <laughs> and then like an hour later she's like is this still that ring movie <laughs>
0: So, yeah, that, that beginning nine or so minutes is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yes. Now that we get to the fun stuff,
1: yeah, So you have to earn it. So, uh, beautiful. I love Hobbiton. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that. It's kind of like my ideal place to live it looks like the ideal kind of culture where they're just like hanging out barefoot every- I'm assuming that the weather is always beautiful like that's the image in my mind it's just pleasant though yes basically it's always 72 degrees and sunny and uh they're always just having like parties outside which is just like the the party. It's the kind of party. Yeah.
0: Everything's always so green. There's flowers yeah. everywhere. There's like cute livestock animals.
1: This is the part where I can come in with a lot of my um, like movie development knowledge. Nice. And like the creation of Hobbiton was a really involved process where like uh, like a year at least before they even started filming um, they started planting all of the flowers wow. and stuff so it's like was very because they didn't want it to look so like manufactured mm-hmm. by doing it like right before their shooting so they wanted it to like be integrated with like the rolling hills and everything so like it looks that. very
0: lived in lived in by yes. the time that they arrived to film
1: yes and also uh, I know that uh, now it is, a sheep farm is that it's like a pasture where they keep keep the sheep yeah sheeps live there sheeps live there and uh it's uh what's really interesting about the filming is that they built out all of these homes into the hills but they're not like it would have been insane for them to actually build real houses in there so anytime you step into an indoor setting it's green screen and it's like filmed on a set uh, it's not it's not all integrated. So it's just the outdoors are very separate from the indoors. That makes sense. Yeah. Movie magic. Movie magic. Uh, so that being said, love Hobbiton, love the Shire. It's awesome. And my <laughs> brings us to our first question. Uh, does Hobbit culture represent a real life culture? I feel like it's gotta.
0: Totally does. Okay. <laughs> uh, Tolkien often said when he was asked that out of all of the races of Middle Earth, he would consider himself a Hobbit.
1: Me too! Oh, <laughs> we have so much in common! <laughs> uh
0: The Shire and Hobbit culture is modeled after his own childhood in different villages and towns around Birmingham in England at the end of the 19th and early 20th century. I know that he was born in South Africa, but he moved to England at a very young age.
1: I didn't know he was born in South Africa.
0: I didn't either until I went to his Wikipedia page. Nice. Very cool. <laughs> so... Notably, Bag End was the name of his Aunt Jane's farm when really? he was a kid. Yeah, it's That's a real awesome. place.
1: <laughs> Aw, that like warmed my heart. <laughs> Look, it's
0: very sweet. Hobbiton is a very idealized version of a pastoral English countryside village. Yeah, it's
1: mm-hmm. like there's like a lot of fiction that idealizes working class. Totally, which is like it's much harder than what they make it appear to be. Yeah, they don't
0: talk too much about Hobbit capitalism. Yeah, (laughs) but it's there. Yes, because because Sam works for a living. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of Return of the King, Frodo is. He says that no Hobbit has ever killed another Hobbit, at least on purpose. Like in the history of being Hobbits no oh. one's ever murdered
1: yeah <laughs> sounds like a lie to me <laughs> sounds like a
0: big lie well hobbit culture is very peaceful it's like what Tolkien would have wanted well, they're always smoking that pipe weed I, I know that you asked me about pipe weed <laughs> and i'm not gonna answer that question yet you can't fool me <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so uh, hobbits uh they have a passion for food uh brewing ale smoking weed Ayo. and growing plants so that's just you know direct quote from the movie that uh-huh. I just want to give further back up to they chill as fuck
0: yes very chill the worst <laughs> they don't like, they don't even have police in the shire there's no crime there there's
1: that's not how crime works that's not <laughs> how you prevent crime <laughs> it's not just like we trust you you're good
0: well the worst <laughs> crime that ever happens is like rich hobbits stealing silverware from other rich hobbits yeah it's not that the lack of police means there's no crime if sure. the lack of crime means there's no police fair enough there's um there's a group of people called bounders who kind of man the perimeters of the shire but it's it's not like they're trying to keep anybody out they're just making sure that no outsiders i think the quote is make themselves a nuisance
1: so <laughs> that sounds like such a weird like veiled threat like <laughs> don't make yourself a nuisance and you yeah. won't have a problem
0: as hobbits can have will prove over the course of the story they can and will mess you up <laughs> if you make yourself a nuisance yes,
1: correct Sauron
0: made himself a real nuisance
1: <laughs> so with that said now uh uh we see frodo he is hanging out under a tree maybe smoking weed reading a book he's definitely reading a book reading i don't recall book. if he's
0: smoking or not uh, <laughs> this is maybe just how i choose to
1: remember it but i feel <laughs> like he's eating an apple <laughs> i don't know i'm just thinking maybe. Of, i'm still thinking about
0: twilight
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> aren't we all all the time uh his his uh big blues come into the frame big blue. gandalf arrives uh gandalf as he is approaching is humming a little tune, mm-hmm. the road goes ever on and on. <laughs> Do you know, uh, this seems like more it would be in my wheelhouse, but if Howard Shore uh, wrote the tune to that, let's find out. All of the songs that have lyrics, the lyrics were pulled from the books because the books have extensive just like it's sonnets almost is songs. almost <laughs> obnoxious. Um and the road goes ever on and on. I think was from The Hobbit originally. I believe so. Yeah,
0: he's he's credited some places okay as as having written it, but I'm not sure. So My Govannon Melonin, it's Leah from the Future again. This tune was actually composed by Plan Nine and David Long, who for the purposes of the work they did on Lord of the Rings, called themselves the Elvish Impersonators.
1: I think it's cool that he put a tune to those things that just are so fitting
0: and perfect. Definitely. Um, It's like that one is known as a walking song, and it's just like such a good tempo of...
1: So I just like this one quote, first of all, when they're referencing Bilbo's party is... I don't remember exactly who says this, uh, but it is no bad thing to celebrate a simple life. And I think that's just really lovely. That sounds like a Gandalf thing. That's yeah, pretty wise. I think I think that's a wise man saying. <laughs> so my that brings us to the next question. So there's always been a baggins in Bag End, and there always will be, is something that Bilbo ominously says to Frodo when Frodo has no idea what the hell is going on yet, but Bilbo <laughs> keeps just like alluding to the fact that he's going to disappear forever pretty soon. <laughs> um who inherits bag end? When Frodo leaves. I want to ask
0: you if you have any guesses. Because I think that...
1: Is it Sam? It is Sam. Okay. Yeah, because they're gay as hell. <laughs> of course, he would inherit his estate.
0: Sam, uh, Sam and Rosie and their children inherit Bag End. Guess how many children Sam and Rosie have? Nine? Thirteen. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> I was going to say nine because I thought there would be some sort of like symmetry with like the fellowship.
0: <laughs> he does name most of his children after members of the fellowship. That is
1: so sweet so
0: yeah in a way there's like i mean frodo and bilbo are still in bag end they're just frodo and bilbo gardener instead of frodo and bilbo baggins okay that's going to be it for this episode thank you so much for listening to speak friend and enter if you liked what you heard please consider rating and reviewing us on itunes those reviews really help people find the show if you have a question or topic you want us to discuss, please email us at speakfriendpod at gmail.com. You can also check out the show's Twitter at speakfriendpod for official pod stuff. And my personal Twitter is at askistwin, that's I-S-T-W-E-N. And Audrey is too cool for social media, but if you climb a tree and speak into the biggest knot, she will hear you. Tune in next time for the answers to questions like, who is truly a blockheaded brace girdle from hard bottle? Why did the ring leave Gollum beneath the Misty Mountains? And did Sauron forget about his enormous mace when he was fighting a Zildor? Until next time, Muku Torgizu Turuguskin.
1: May your beard continue to grow.